Uh, so we are reading Hebrews 12. Uh, as Steph said, it's literally three verses, so it's going to be really quick and simple. Uh, so 12, uh, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thank you. Um, Sammy, that was beautiful. Right. Oh, there you are. Hello. That was beautiful. Thank you. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, some of my favorite verses in Scripture. I love them. Um, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Um, I love it. It's just such evocative language, and it's really direct. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And if you've been here for the past... Uh, two months. We've been in the book of Hebrews the past eight weeks, and the refrain, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, just keeps coming up over and over and over again. Um, I've heard, although I am unable to confirm this, um, and I googled it but couldn't find anything, but a friend told me in the week, and I trust this person, so I'm going to trust this person. This person said that Kim Beasley, um, you know Kim Beasley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, love him or hate him. Kim Beasley, he's a guy. He's um, a governor of Western Australia, was opposition leader for a little while there. Um, he, uh, he speaks about the vomit rule when it comes to communication. Has anyone else heard this? No? Okay, so like it may or may not be true. Like that's, that's my caveat with this, which is great when you're preaching. Um, uh, he speaks of the vomit rule. The vomit rule says, if you have an important message to communicate, say it over and over and over again, and eventually you'll get to the point where you think, if I say it one more time, I'm going to vomit. And once you get to that point, your audience has perhaps started to listen. That, that's his... That's his um, or, or my friend's version of what he says. Um, and that kind of feels like what we're doing tonight. Um, Again, we're saying, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. We've heard it over and over again, and we're like, yeah, that's exactly what we've been hearing. Um, and the audience of Hebrew, uh, sorry, the author of Hebrews is like, yeah, are you doing it? Um, and we're like, I'm trying. Like, I think, I think. But here we are again, um, chapter 12, the end of Hebrews. Um, we've heard, let's recap Hebrews briefly. Um, we've heard that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. Um, We've heard that Jesus gives the gift of rest. Remember when Hannah and Eddie spoke about rest? Like that was such a beautiful evening to think, oh, what does that mean to rest deeply and well? Um, We heard how Jesus has granted us uninhibited access into the very throne room of God. Uh, We have perfect presence with the creator of the universe. Um, It's a stunning picture of us in God's presence. Um, And now we get to wrap it up. Um, In some ways, the rubber hits the road. In some ways, it's just a reminder of everything that we've tracked. 
Um, and I want to take it in a slightly different, um, different route tonight, and I hope it's helpful. I hope tonight is encouraging and thought-provoking for you. I was a bit nervous as I was writing this one, so I'd love your feedback at the end of it um, for, for how this sat for you. But let's, let's jump into the image that we have. Um, it's a racetrack. A marathon is being run in Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Apparently, some people love running. Nathan, our resident runner, um, did you run today? Excuses, excuses. Um, um, How much would you have run today if it hadn't have been so scorching? 6 to 12 Ks, just just like a light jog. Um, uh, so the, there's this image of a marathon being run, and you can go to the ancient world and see the amphitheaters that that these marathons would have been run on, as the author of Hebrews has it in mind. Um, you can go and see, and they're kind of they're pitted as like the these spectacles that you need to go and see. They're so boring. You arrive, and it's just like a really long, flat oval. You're like, ah, oh, that's great, um, but. You can imagine, in the ancient world, people doing laps and tens of thousands of people there cheering the, the cloud of witnesses that we saw last week. Um, but the twist in Hebrews 12 is that the runner, just before he has gone off and done his jog, someone has come along and put a backpack full of cement on him. Um, and he's, he's weighed down. He's tied down by something, something that ensnares him. The, the words the author uses, uh, sin that entangles. It's the picture of being weighed down by something that is causing you not to run as you should be or as you could be. You're not reaching your full potential. I personally prefer the image of those, you know those bungee runs? That you like, you run, but you have a bungee cord stripped to you, strapped to your back, and so you like run and then get flung back, and everyone laughs because we live in a horrible society. Um, I personally think that's a better image that the author should have used, um, but it is what it is. Um, the author is trying to say that for us, as we run the Christian life, it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. And we need to be aware that things are going to tangle us down, tie us to not run to our full potential. Um, and that, that's where the author is leading us to think about tonight. And so what I want to do is reflect on the two invitations that we're given uh, to fix our eyes on Jesus and cast off anything that ties us down. Um, and so as part of that, I want to um, gently and carefully walk us into the the realm of the doctrine of sin, um, because that is what's mentioned here, I think quite deliberately by the author, he or she, um, as something that will tie us down. Now, I say that I want to walk into that gently, because I am just very aware, um, and I'm very conscious that in our community, um, the theology of sin or the doctrine of sin has been uh, weaponized against so many people in our community. Um, and it's been done in a way that heaps shame. Uh, and uh, it, it's, been, uh, it's been used against us in really painful ways for myself and as I look around for so many people in this room. Um, and so I just want to be really careful as we go into it and address it. And I guess in some ways that the easy thing would be to to not address it, um, to, to not speak about sin. Um, 
But what I want to do, and, I, and this is where I, I hope this is helpful, and I hope this is even maybe a little bit therapeutic for you tonight. Um, I want to adjust some of the language that we use to speak about sin, and I hope that it's helpful um, because I actually think that for many of us who've been around churches for a long time, the way that we use the word sin is in itself uh, problematically small. Um, and I want to zoom out and think, okay, what's a, what's a bigger picture that is biblical and faithful and helps us as a community to think about what is wrong with the world today? Does that make sense? That's kind of, kind of where I, I want to track. Um, and uh, I, I guess then, from the outset, what we need to say and acknowledge uh, is that you are made in the image of God. Um, uh, that um, your very nature of, of you as an individual reflects the glory of the Creator. Uh, and there is nothing, there is nothing that you could say or do or think or feel that could ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Uh, let's, like that, is the, that is the first point of call that we need to land at for all of us. We, we come at this topic from a place of deep love and connectedness to the divine because that's the very nature of what it means to be human. Um, that, that's the reality. And it might not feel like it, but if God is to be believed, then that, that is the reality that underpins all of our living days. Um, and we've seen that over and over again in Hebrews. And so because of that reality, uh, because we are so loved... I guess we have the chance to look at our lives and be reflective human beings to say, um, where is it in my life, where is it in our community's life or in the life of humanity that isn't living into that reality of image bearers of God, of image bearers of the divine, that isn't living into that reality of beautifully loved children of the Most High God. Um, And that... That, I think, has to be our basis for talking about sin. Historically, um, when we've talked about, in Hebrews, throwing off sin, it's actually just punitive, um, or it's shame-building, and it uses uh, guilt as a means of fear. Um, But I think what we get in Hebrews is it's actually quite liberating, don't you think? Um, It's it's this opportunity to run this race, um, to reach... The gold, and so um, any uh, any discussion of sin does not come from a place of fear and correction, but a place of divine love and acceptance. That's what we've seen over and over and over again in Hebrews, and that's where we land tonight. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, I, I just think that's so important to say. And even as we go forward, I just want to keep coming back to that. Um, And you may have noticed we don't talk about sin much in this community because the reality is a lot of us already know what sin is. Uh, We know it, and we don't need to be reminded and have it dragged up all the time. Uh, We need to be reminded of God's abundant grace uh, and abundant love. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of where we're tracking. Um, In order to do that, um, I hope this is helpful. Um, and, and if there's any questions, just throw up your hand and say, hey, this isn't helpful or, like, this isn't how I see it. Like, like please feel free just to, to not buy into this at all and um, let, let's use this as a bit of a, a starting place. But I want to su- uh, suggest five different 
lenses that I think people come at when they hear the word sin. Um, some of them are truer or less true. Some of them are helpful or less helpful. Um, but they're just, they're just the reality, reality of where we're at. Um, and as we do that, I want to suggest five different, uh, I guess, contexts in which these theologies have thrived, in which the lenses have thrived. So let's go. Um, uh, the way I'm going to track it is kind of the definition of sin and then the context that it's thrived in. And if that is our definition of sin, then what does casting it off look like in the book of Hebrews? Because it's really important that we understand this. Um, so the first one is um, sin is rebellion against a deity. That's kind of the first definition that we might look to. I'm, I'm like slipping straight into teacher mode here. Apologies. Um, I'll just keep going. Um, the theological context that that kind of language has thrived in. Now, it's biblical. Like, the, the language of rebellion is in Scripture. We saw it in Hebrews 3. Um, the author said that the Israelites rebelled against God. So it's not like it's not a biblical motif, but it, it has been emphasized in certain contexts more than others. Um, and it particularly comes around in feudal contexts where you have a king or a queen up high or a strong hierarchical context where you have, um, often it's a patriarchal figure at the top. And anything that is not seen as fitting in is deemed disobedience, rebellion. And so the casting off leads to obedience and conformity. Does that make sense? That's, so that's one motif that we might look at sin through. I would like to say that this is kind of the, uh, the base level of thinking because it's a simple structure for people to think about. It's obedience, it's behavior structures, it's, it's not complex. And so we might teach that idea to children in kindergarten, but in reality, for most of us, this is the only one we hear in our churches. Um, it's black and it's white, it's structured, if you're outside the bounds, then you are wrong and you need punishment. Does it? Yeah, that, that's, and unfortunately for so many of our, um, I'm just going to say it, especially Anglican churches and a lot of Baptist churches in the Sydney context that I've been a part of, this is the way they see sin. And it's the only way they see sin. And if you see sin differently, then you don't quite fit in. I don't think it's the only or, uh, or even... Uh, majority way that scripture ever speaks about sin. There's so much more to it. So can I keep going? Yeah? Um, The next one is sin has been conceived of as idolatry. Um, And this has really taken off in the past 15 years. Um, If you read Keller at all, the guy called Tim Keller, um, this is how he speaks about it over and over again, that uh, sin at heart is idolatry. And it recognizes, I think, rightly that humans are worshipping beings. That is, we ascribe worth to different things. And in order to be the good Christian, we have to always find worth in Jesus above everything else. Does that make sense? Uh, That particular mindset has thrived naturally in individualistic capitalist societies because we're constantly valuing specific things and it's used as a way of saying, hey, like you're not finding your worth in Jesus, you're finding it in your career, um, that, that kind of word. And so casting off under that mindset leads to right worship. That makes sense? Um, I want to say that this, this is just my observations and a little bit of research that I've done over the years. The, 
there's probably a lot more to it, a lot more nuance to flesh out. Um, the next one will be uh, spiritual captivity. So sin is being captive. This way of thinking about sin puts it out there somewhere. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a force to be reckoned with that I need to be released from. So it's less of an internal state, and it's more something that I actually need to fight against. So it's, it's almost personified. Um, it's a world that is controlled by the devil, and it is, um, it's placed as a battleground, I guess. Um, colonization this language really took off, and you can see that in the way that they spoke about the, way, the, need, to, um, the need to bring the, the savage, was the, the word, that, I hate even saying that, but that mindset to actually go and evangelize and conquer with a missionary zeal in order to bring them in, yeah? Um, recently, that language is often found in Pentecostal and charismatic movements, and am I thinking is because that that's because often it's perceived as something that needs to be overcome uh it's it's living your best life now by uh by conquering something and that's kind of language that sits quite naturally in charismatic pentecostal spheres does that make sense um the casting off leads to freedom in that that kind of mindset um again Biblical ideas are coming through, but it's not the only way. And I hope that what you're seeing is that there's, there's so many different ways to see and understand of sin. Let's keep going. Um, the next one is sin as separation. Um, this has uh, you know, largely been a gift from the mystics to help us understand this. It's seen uh, in the story of Adam and Eve. Um, sin looked like They were cast from the garden, um, and so they were separated from God. Um, Or they were separated from creation. um, Or they were separated from one another. um, Or they were separated from themselves. They no longer could be comfortable in their own skin. And so sin creates a barrier, um, and that barrier itself is something that is not of God. Um, And so the work of uh, the work of the Christian life is connectivity. It's connecting to one another. Um, it's connecting to creation. It's connecting to God. I love this. For me, um, personally, like I know that people resonate with different things, but I've only discovered this way of thinking in the last kind of year or two. Um, and it makes sense to me. Um, it makes sense that, oh, for so, uh, for so long, I've, I've found myself in only thinking about my relation to God as something that I need to be obedient in uh, or as something that I need to get my worship right and if I don't have it right, then I'm doing the wrong thing. And, um, but for me, this is so personal. Um, it's, it means that I can actually thrive and enjoy my relationship with God in new ways. Does that make sense? It feels so much less of a burden, perhaps? I don't know. Um, uh, the final one I just want to touch on now is sin as unjust social structures. Uh, and this has been the gift of particularly black liberation theologies, pardon me, um, First Nations theologians, and I'll check in that queer theology as well. Uh, that's kind of started to be a gift from queer theologians. Um, unjust social structures, that is, it zooms out. Um, and it says, hey, sin isn't 
are hyper-individualized activity. Um, it never was, it never has been, it never is, and it never will be. Sin is a corporate structure. Um, and so in that, we... we oh, sorry, I'll just flick this. Um, in that, we start to actually get to think about things like patriarchy and misogyny and, um, and ableism. We get to start to think about... Uh, the way that First Nations people have been treated. We get to start to think about um, the way that queer people have been oppressed. And it's not, it's not targeted at individuals. It, it's a societal idea. Um, and again, really biblical. Think about Israel the whole way through. You think um, uh, there were good people in Israel. Um, there were good, faithful people in Israel. And yet God was able to say in Isaiah 1... Woe to the sinful nation, uh, a people whose guilt is great, um, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. And it's saying, hey, this nation that I called to care for the orphan, to look after the widow, to take care of the oppressed, they're not doing that. Um, and it's, it's a mark against the whole nation. Uh, let me read the words of Brooke Prentice uh, as quoted in the ABC recently. She's a phenomenal Aboriginal theologian. She says, We need to address many of the injustices, stolen land, stolen wages, stolen lives, the failure to close the gap, over-representation in prison systems, Aboriginal children in Northern Territory detention centres, the destruction of sacred sites. And I love this last bit that she says. The sin of this nation is the theft of the land. And that's something that hasn't been dealt with. I love that. I love that. I mean, I don't love it. I hate it. Um, it breaks my heart. Um, but it's real. It's true. Um, and, uh, and particularly that last one, it's a radically different way of thinking about sin from what so many churches in Sydney and Australia are teaching. Um, but it's true. It's real and it's present. Um, the first two that we spoke about um, are individualized. It's, it's how I, Joel, as a being right now, relate to God. Um, the third... Um, is about how I relate to creation uh, is how, and how I actually sit in this space. Um, but the final ones, they, they zoom out um, and they don't just think about humanity in relationship to me, but they speak about humanity in relationship to humanity and humanity in relationship to God and humanity in relationship to the cosmos. Isn't that bigger? Um, isn't that far better to start thinking about and to actually step into that and say, hey, um, these are important things for us to discuss. Now, there, there's other ways that, that people can conceive of as sin. Like, there, there's, uh, there's so many more motifs that we could cover. Um, but I just wanted to look at, at those five um, to demonstrate what I think is... Uh, what I think is quite a fundamental flaw that so many of us have when we come to Hebrews 12 and we're called to cast off sin. Um, because 
one of the problems we have with throwing off sin is that we're so conditioned to think of repentance as this individualized, navel-gazing experiment that gets me down in order to repent of something in there so that I can then have a relationship with God. And you and I know that it doesn't work. Um, we try over and over and over again, and in the end, it just being, ends up being altogether unsatisfying. Um, we cast off these kind of individual vices, but society doesn't seem to change. Um, we work our fingers to the bone trying to be better people, but God's kingdom doesn't seem to appear. Um, and so I think in this, I think in this, we have the opportunity as a church community to reframe some of the discussion, to reframe some of the discussion. Um, and when we do that, when we zoom out, when we see it in terms of structures within society, then we actually have the chance to stand in solidarity alongside all of humanity to usher in shalom, um, to usher in the good new city that God so desires. Um, so I guess with all of that in mind, um, I would want to say New City Church takes sin really seriously. Um, it takes sin really seriously because we take people really seriously. Uh, we take God really seriously. We take healing really seriously. We take our creation really seriously. And we want to be a voice that steps into this and says courageously, the way that our culture is treading on the poor is not all right. The way that our society is detaining asylum seekers is not okay. Um, the way that our political system is locking up young indigenous children, that is not something that we can be on board with. Um, the way that our society is commodifying bodies or pillaging the creation, it's wrong and there has to be a better way. Does that make sense? The... That means that we take sin seriously. That means that we work as a society, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, to cast these things off. And of course, there's personal things along the way. You know that as well as I do. But I just want to zoom out and say, these are the things that some of us, we, we need to be focusing on because we haven't for so long. Um, and as it stands, the reality is the church has lost any authority to be a moral voice in society. That, that's just the reality. It's, it's given up any hope of being a voice of compassion. That, that's sadly the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, but I remain convinced, um, and I, I'm certain that many of you do too, that Jesus is still a moral compass worth considering. Uh, that Jesus provides a moral compass that we want to listen to and align our lives with. Um, and we see part of that moral compass in this passage. Um, 
we see Jesus on the cross, uh, the ultimate sign of weakness and defeat. Um, And rather than being overcome by the cross, he scorns its shame. Literally, it's he treats it with little value. He worships it not. He gives it no worth. Um, And this is the reversing of power structures that we see in the gospel. Um, That which somebody attempts to use against Jesus uh, to control and flex their muscles, um, it's turned upside down, inside out, and robbed of its sting. Uh, This is the pattern of the Christian life. This is what Jesus authored the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, as we are called to cast off everything that entangles, I guess we're not left in the dark. Um, We're given a guide, and we're given a really good guide. Um, And we're told to watch that guide. We're told to keep our eyes fixed on that guide. Um, And I wonder if there's something in the reality that while ever our eyes are fixed on the immortal, while ever our eyes are fixed on the new kingdom, then everything else fades into the distance. And we're able to see more clearly, to say, wait a minute. This isn't the way of God. This isn't the way of beauty. This isn't the way of connectedness and shalom. Um, what I said at the very start uh, was that I, I hope that as we talk about sin in this, this manner, um, it might be new to some of you. Um, it might be a bit of a fresh way of thinking about sin, although I know it's not for a lot of you because you've been thinking this way for a long time, and that, that's why this community has been birthed in this way. Um, as we talk about sin in this way, I hope that the, the weaponization of sin that has caused so many wounds over so many years, uh, that has led to a deep shame, um, my hope and prayer is that, as, that we take sin seriously as a community, you will find healing from that shame um, because you'll start to have a bigger idea of what it means to recognize sin um, and to step in line with Jesus um, in order to bring about justice and hope and peace. We're about to start our Advent series, uh, and I'm so excited for that. Um, our series is, um, thanks to a name by a few key people, is uh, In Solidarity. Um, and the first thing that we're going to see is that before Jesus even arrived, they had called him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. And we serve a God who is in solidarity with humanity. We serve a God who stands alongside us, uh, who has suffered. So we come to the end of Hebrews. Uh, we've seen so much. Um, I, I don't know about you, I've loved this series. Um, I have loved just sitting in it um, and reflecting over and over again that we are welcomed into God's presence, um, that God has called us in as his children, um, and God dearly loves us. Um, I've loved the fact that we can just rest, uh, rest knowing that God has called us home. Um, 
And I've loved, loved knowing that Jesus is the true revelation of God and just reflecting on what does that mean for me now? I, I, I truly have taken such delight in that. Um, and thank you so much for all who have, uh, who have discussed and led us on this journey. Um, we come to the end, and I guess the last thing to say is that Jesus calls us to fix our eyes on him. Um, in other words, um, Jesus calls us to remember that Jesus loves us, and Jesus loves justice, and Jesus loves community, and Jesus wants that for us. Um, we've seen in Hebrews that we're called to remember our worth. Remember that Jesus thought that your life was so valuable that Jesus would give his life for you. Uh, we've seen throughout that, uh, that we've been called to remember that we have complete, unhindered access to the throne of God. Uh, remember that God has chosen you to be co-authors as we work towards shalom to the true new city. I hope that's been encouraging for you. I hope that's been healing for you. I hope that you've been able to just sit in that and see the beauty of the God that we fix our eyes on. The Christian life, it's not a sprint. Uh, it's a marathon. We get to do it together. Praise God. Amen.